This week at Hope Point. This is what I want you to know now. You are among the 144,000 faithful witnesses on earth. Revelation 7 is talking about you. The church has always been sealed and ready to serve God in every generation. So instead of the previous chart that said we leave when it gets rough, I think the correct chart is this. There has been 2,000 years of tribulation going on. Their church has always suffered, but we've always endured because we've always been sealed. So much ink has been spilled over the course of church history regarding the end times, specifically when the church will be raptured. This type of debate can be healthy as long as it is directed towards knowing God more fully. And one thing we know about God is that He has never rescued His church from suffering or tribulation, but His promise is that He will always be with us to help us endure. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from Revelation chapter 7. Sometimes speakers communicate with a, a method of simply asking a question at the beginning of their talk and then basically answering it that question in the remainder of their talk. And this is the method that's used by the Apostle John in uh, Revelation uh, chapter 7. In chapter 6, he basically introduced us to what the world would look like as we move closer and closer to the return of Christ. There'd be wars and famine and disease and inflation and all sorts of corrupt political leaders. And, and into this calamitous world, God would send the church to speak warning to the world. Let the world know that things are getting worse as a warning to flee to Christ before His full wrath is vented on the planet. But the more the church preaches, the more the church is persecuted and even, and even killed. And so at the end of Revelation chapter 6, because of all of these things happening, John asked this question, who is able to stand? When all of these things are happening, who has the strength to stand in a world where all of this is happening? When all of the world is panicking, who can be loyal to Christ in such a time? And then, so John answers that question that he asked in chapter 6. He spends the entire chapter 7 answering one question. Who can stand? And the answer is those who are sealed by God. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had begun the power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. So as we come to the book of Revelation chapter 7, today, obviously it's a milestone chapter, and I just ask you that you would today put on your symbol-loving, figure, figurative speech-loving brain, because there's a lot of... Figurative language used in Revelation 7 that I, I think if it's misunderstood will cause you to miss the best blessing of, of the chapter. Now, before we can even really understand chapter 7, what it's about is you sort of need to understand the time frame in which it is, it's referring to because the time frame is, is not after chapter 6. You say, well, yeah, it is. It says this after this. No, that's just where it comes in the movie. 
You've gone to movies before, like a movie was set in 1991. You're watching eating popcorn, and all of a sudden, there's a flashback to how this kid grew up in 1961. But it, you see it in the middle of the movie. So it's like after half the movie, you saw this, but it's about an event before the movie. So chapter 7 is talking about an event that occurred before all the calamity on earth began. What did God do to help his people before all of the earthquakes and the famines and the war began in chapter 6? And he says that God's people were sealed. So let's see what we're looking at here. We've got four mighty angels. This is chapter 7. This is what happened before chapter 6 got started, but this is what he saw. Four mighty angels holding back the winds from the four corners of the earth. Now, you just have to take my word for this until you can go home today and read Zechariah chapter 6, but the four winds of the earth are the same thing as the four horsemen in Revelation 6. These are the disasters that are coming in increasing amount in chapter 6. The war, the famine... Uh, the inflation, uh, the violence, the bloodshed, the persecution, the martyrdom. Um, you'll see Zechariah 6 says the, the, the four winds are the four horsemen. So <clears throat> it's pretty easy to know what these guys are doing. They're holding back these winds. They're holding back these four horsemen in Revelation 6 until an event happens. That is described in chapter 3. Don't go out. Horses don't go. Wind don't go. Do not harm the land of the sea of the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. So God said we can't start any of this calamity until God's people are, are sealed. So to be honest with you, that part of Revelation is pretty easy to understand. I mean, it's really not you've got You've got four strong angels holding back judgments. They're not to be released until God's people are sealed. Here comes the confusing part of chapter 7. Who gets sealed? Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. And then he proceeds in the next four verses to list those, 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 those tribes. Yeah, my goodness. We get there. So we don't have to read all that, but that's how he gets 144,000, 12 tribes, and 12,000 in each tribe. So when you first read this, it looks like it simply is what it is. The people who are sealed before the calamity begins are 144,000 people from ethnic Israel. But what I want to tell you today is this very important part of understanding Revelation. Because Revelation makes use of so much figurative or symbolic language when reading much of the book, especially chapter 7, you got to ask yourself, should I read this literally or should I see it as symbolic? You have to ask that question all the time when you are reading the book. And I want to tell you today, I think it's going to be better for your heart. It'll produce greater devotion to God, greater readiness to suffer, if you understand that the ceiling of these 144,000 in chapter 7 is symbolic of another group of people, 
not ethnic Israel. Now, let me tell you why it is popular to say, no, 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 it's 144,000 Jews that are going to get sealed. That's a popular American interpretation of Revelation chapter 7 because of a movement that occurred in the 1970s called the post-tribulational view of Revelation, which meant that the church was born, you know, AD 33, Jesus died, rose, went to heaven. The church has been in existence for 2,000 years. And seven years before Jesus comes back, there's going to be an event. This is what was taught in the 70s. That the church will be raptured and taken out of earth. And for the next seven years, the only evangelists that are left on earth are 144,000 Jews that were saved. And they're the missionaries and evangelists that will, that will preach the gospel until Christ returns. That was very popular in the 70s. It goes all the way back to a theology that started in the mid-1800s, but nobody believed this before the mid-1800s. Nobody ever taught on this. It got started in an odd way and really took off in 1970s because it became attractive because it began to teach people that when things get really rough, if you know Christ, the church gets taken out of the hard thing. And instead of God asking the church to suffer and preach, he's going to ask Israel to suffer. Converted Jews to suffer and preach. And it made everybody feel like I get to escape. But I want to submit to you today, I think there's a better interpretation of who gets sealed. I don't think it's ethnic Israel. Now, this week I spent a lot of time proving six reasons why Revelation 7 does not refer to ethnic Israel. And then I remembered, I only have 35 minutes to preach. I need 55 minutes to get that one done. So I deleted 2,000 words. Maybe we will share with them, share you with, share you, uh, with them later. But, but for your joy, this is what I want you to know now. You are among the 144,000 faithful witnesses on earth. Revelation 7 is talking about you. The church has always been sealed and ready to serve God in every generation. So instead of the previous chart that said we leave when it gets rough, I think the correct chart is this. There has been 2,000 years of tribulation going on. Their church has always suffered, but we've always endured because we've always been sealed. God's not going to remove you from suffering. He's going to equip you from suffering by sealing you. Say, how do you prove that? Well, I can't prove it with all six, but I can prove it with some of these verses. Let's start with Ephesians chapter 1. And you were all, this is written in the first century, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So the Bible says when you believed Christ, the Holy Spirit came into your life and he sealed you. The word deposit could have two meanings. Sometimes it's used as a down payment on a house. 
Jesus spoke of this in John chapter 14. I go to prepare a place uh, in heaven for you. And if I go, I will come back. So Jesus has purchased for you a house, deposit of the Holy Spirit, the guarantee that you're going to move in one day. The word deposit, the seal of the Spirit, can also mean an engagement ring. When a guy gives a girl an engagement ring, he's going to say, I'm going to show up for the wedding and make this final. Jesus says, I'm coming back for you, and there will be a great wedding. And so how do you know that you're going to move in the house? How do you know that you're going to be at the wedding of the Lamb in the end of time? Because you've been sealed already by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is our seal, our mark, our promise, our guarantee that God will supply us with sufficient strength so that we'll believe Him and serve Him and suffer for Him until we arrive, arrive home. Well, I told you I didn't have time today to look at all six reasons why I do not believe that Revelation 7 applies to ethnic Israel, but I do want to give you a sneak peek into one of the reasons because interestingly enough, we do see the 144,000 mentioned again in the book, and this time there is no mention of ethnic Israel. It's just believers, us. Revelation 14, then I looked and there before me was the Lamb, Jesus, standing on Mount Zion, heaven, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And again, because the the language of Revelation is highly symbolic, I don't think we're going to get to heaven and God's going to put a tattoo of his name on my forehead. I think that's just a reference to the fact that when I received Christ, the Holy Spirit came into my life that every cell of my body, the Holy Spirit basically inscribed on it, servant of God, follower of the Lamb, I will never be lost, ever. I have been bought by the blood of Christ. I have been sealed by the Spirit of God, exactly. And this is why I'll make it to heaven. I've I've been sealed already. There are two beautiful seals, mentions of seals in the book of Revelation. 144,000 in Revelation 7, 144,000 in Revelation chapter 14. And those who are sealed there belong to that God, to that Christ forever. But there's also another seal, another mark mentioned in the book of Revelation that's a horrible seal and a horrible mark to receive. That one's mentioned in Revelation 13. Because of the signs, the false prophet, one of the workers of Satan, was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast. It deceived the inhabitants of the earth, so the whole world was deceived. It also forced all the people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark, a seal, on the right hand and on their forehead. So, in the book of Revelation, you're either sealed by God... Sealed by Jesus Christ, or you're sealed by Satan, and whoever you're sealed by, you live with forever. That's why it's so important to regard Revelation 7 as something that's happened to you now, because this is why God tells us at the beginning of Revelation 7, the reason that we can endure all the trials of Revelation 6, we have already been sealed by the Spirit of God And we will endure by his 
by his power. So at the end of Revelation 6, here's the question. Who's able to stand when the world falls apart? Revelation 7 answers the question, those who are sealed. That's why the chapter was written, to tell us who can endure when the world gets increasingly difficult to live in. Now, so you might ask the question, well, gosh, I came to church today. I want to know, how do I know I'm sealed? Well, there's, it's, it's so clear in the New Testament. The first one we said, we just read it in Ephesians 1. If you've been sealed by the Spirit of God, it will be because that you have a deep love for Jesus Christ. Nobody drags you to church. You don't come here with the thing of, you don't have to go to church to be saved. You want to be here. You want to sing. You love Christ. He is someone you think about all the time. Ephesians 1, you believe Christ. And you got a seal of the Holy Spirit. That's proof of that. Then there's another way you can know you're sealed. Not just because of your love for Christ, but because of your hatred of sin. Before God destroyed Jerusalem, he commanded an angel to go through the city and to mark a certain group of people in the city before the calamity came. Ezekiel 9 says, Go throughout the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over all the detestable things that are done in it. So how do you know you belong to God? Well, here, you belong to God because when you look out at society, read the news, watch what's coming out of, uh, out of Washington, out of Hollywood, what's coming out of culture, what's coming out of universities, your reaction is grief, sorrow. You don't go party with these people. You don't go celebrate it. You don't make light of it. You grieve it. A sign that you've been sealed by God is your life is filled with holy grief over sin and a love for Jesus being the Savior who will take anybody out of sin who will repent and come to Him. So this is why God seals us at the beginning of chapter 7 with the Holy Spirit so that we'll not be deceived by the Antichrist, we'll not be intimidated by this culture, we'll not be lured away by all the sin of this world. The Holy Spirit will keep us believing. And this is why the most important thing in the world, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, the most important thing you can be doing is to fan and to flame the power of the Holy Spirit by coming to church, reading the Bible, praying, singing, and yielding your life to every time he says, follow me in this, constantly being led by the Spirit. You're sealed by him, now respond to him. So Revelation 6 asks the question, who can stand? Revelation 7 answers, those who are sealed. This brings us to the end of the chapter, and which is glorious because we see that those at the end of Revelation 7, those who were sealed at the beginning, at the end, they stood. Who can stand in Revelation 6? Revelation 7, those who are sealed. End of Revelation 7, they stood. And boy, do they look great. 
After this, I looked there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So this great crowd of people is in heaven because of the faithful witness of the church for 21 centuries because we're sealed we're not quitting. We're going to keep preaching. And this great pe- crowd of people from every nation in the world is now in heaven singing praises to God. What possibly could be better than singing a song of praise to Jesus? Singing that song in a hundred different languages. This is the nations that have come to Christ through the missionary efforts of the churches. One happy group of people. They were wearing white robes holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to Jesus, the Lamb. So when the Bible says they're wearing right robes, this is, just as, this is what we long for, the day when we're going to be pure. I want to be pure, you want to be pure, but we still struggle with all sorts of stuff. Going to get a white robe in heaven, just a sign of purity. Every time the, the word white is used in Revelation, the Bible says in Revelation 4, God sits on a white throne. Revelation chapter 1, massive Jesus, piercing eyes, white hair. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 19, when Jesus comes back to rescue his church at the second coming, he's coming back on a white horse. It's all evidence of purity. So these people are elated and joyful because they finally have been made pure. And all of these happy people are waving palm branches. Why are they waving palm branches? Well, palm branches are a, a joyful sign of a completed task. In the Old Testament, there was a feast called Tabernacles. There were several things that were celebrated and acknowledged with the Feast of Tabernacles. But one of them, when the Jews came together once a year, when God told them to come, he told them to come at the end of the harvest. So these people are looking at all the little seeds they planted in the spring, corn and wheat, and all, they had a great harvest. So all the Jews came together to Jerusalem, waving palm branches, celebrating the harvest of their labor. So you got all these people in heaven, Christians from 21 centuries, waving palm branches to God for all the sermons that were preached, all the time spent at a crisis pregnancy center, all the time the inner city children were tutored, all the Monday and Tuesday nights that English was taught at a second language, all the Sundays where you came and you held babies so mom and dad could worship in here, all the sermons that were preached, all the missionaries that went, You say, wow, there's a harvest for all of this work. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, there is not one thing we do for Jesus Christ that would be wasted. So do not lose heart. Everything done, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I talked to a missionary today, last week. This is what he told me, how hard, how long it took to get to his place of service. He flew to Indonesia he and his wife flew to Indonesia. Then when they got on the, uh, one of the islands there, they took three more plane trips to their island where they serve in that archipelago. And then once they're on that island, then they took a 10-hour bus ride 
And at the end of that bus ride, they got in a boat to get to the people that they served. And don't you know how many days they feel like I'm doing nothing. Nothing's working right. Look at this. The nations are there and they're waving palm branches because of the great harvest that's coming. You know, another reason that uh, God's people used to wave palm branches uh, at, um, at this, it's called the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths is because when God's people lived in the wilderness for 40 years before they got to the promised land, when they stopped and camped for a certain amount of time, God said, well, you got to build a little shelter to live in, and they would put leaves together, sticks together, and make a booth. They might live in that thing for several months. And so when they're waving these leaves and these branches, they are praising God that for 40 years, he provided for their, all of their needs in the wilderness, all the food they needed, all the water they needed, all the shelter they needed. And so here, these people in heaven are praising God as they look back and they say, God, look what you've done for my business. Look what you did when I said, there's no way this will work. Look what you did when there was calamity and collapse in our family. God, look what you did on the days when I was at the end of the road, dead end, and I thought there was no way to go and you made a way. Listen, people ask me all the time, do, do I think that we have memories in heaven? I hope so. How else will you know to thank God for what he rescued you from? And that you look back and say, God, thank you that you were in it after all. This is what they're doing in heaven. Palm branches of joy, thanking God for all of his deliverances. And they're also celebrating uh, as anybody would in a parade. In Roman times, king on a horse comes and rides through town all the citizens waving palm branches because the king has come back from the battlefield and he's victorious and because you belong to his kingdom you're victorious as well and so they're waving palm branches because you know what on earth these people were harassed oppressed imprisoned and executed and now they are victors and all of their oppressors have been defeated. And now I want to conclude with one of my favorite parts of the book of Revelation. Maybe my favorite part of the Bible. Definitely is today. Revelation 7. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? Where do they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who've come out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. This is why God seals you at the beginning of chapter 7, so you will be at the end of chapter 7. Seals you with His Spirit so that you will not give up, lose heart, not believe in Christ, believe the Antichrist, go with the culture, abandon Jesus. They didn't do that because they were sealed. That's why they made it. That's why they're there. They came out of all the tribulation. They didn't dodge it. They didn't get a hall pass that said, you are exempt from tribulation. No, they went through tribulation. 
Now this word tribulation in, in, I guess it's verse 14, may be the hardest Greek word for me to pronounce, but I need to so you'll understand that every time I, I, I show you the next way it's used, it's the same word. It's thlipsis. It's T-H-L-P-S-I-S. It's all those thlipsis. That's tribulation. It's important because look at all the times in the scripture that says, no, no, no. We don't get taken out of tribulation. <laughs> We're sealed by the Spirit of God to go through it. Look how, look how um, John begins. This is the first century. He's writing to people. I, John, your brother and partner in the what? Philipsis. They didn't get out of it. Went through it. Then Jesus comforting the church of Smyrna. I know your Philipsis. They didn't get out of it. Went through it. Acts 14, Paul told the, the, the city, the Christians there in Lystra and Derbe, through many Philipsis, many tribulations, you enter the kingdom of God. Not out of it. John 16, Jesus told his disciples, in this world you will have tribulation. The word Philipsis, Oh, I was good for a while. The word flipsis, tribulation, is used 40 times in the Bible and never is there a hint that it's something we get out of. Revelation 7 is there to tell us we are sealed by the Spirit of God so that we'll be faithful to Him through it to witness until the very last breath that God gives us. The tribulation is not some future event Think about this. If that 1970s theory is, was correct, that the church is raptured and, and uh, then Israel, 144,000 evangelists are the missionaries until the end of time and they win a bunch of people to Christ. These verses in Revelation 7 that we're rejoicing, they don't apply to anybody you know. Because those people hadn't lived yet. It would just be referring to the people at the end of the age that are won by the Jews that live in the final seven years that came out of that tribulation. So you can't use Revelation 7 to comfort the very people that you've lost and that you now love. I don't think that's very, very healthy. I don't think it's theologically accurate. I think Revelation 7 is exactly written to people that you love that have already come out of tribulation. No, we don't get a hall pass that says you'll never suffer on earth. The planet will not hurt you. Disease will not hurt you. Demons will not harass you. No, instead God says, I'm going to seal you with the spirit that you will be faithful to me until, until the end. So instead of viewing life as a picnic, we're to view it as a battlefield and we'll be successful on that battlefield because we're sealed by the spirit of God before the battle began. Will we be successful at every battle we face? Nope. We might be sealed by the Spirit of God, but we're still going to have those bad days where we whine and complain and doubt. And that's why I love this verse in, in Revelation 7. They have washed their robes and made them white 
in the blood of the Lamb. What a great moment in heaven. We make it across the finish line. We see the glory of Christ and we go, oh my goodness. I should have loved you more. I should have served you more. Why in the world was I, did I spend so much time on earth worrying about money? <sighs> Lamenting these physical, emotional obstacles? How could I have ever chosen sin over you? And at that moment, you take your soul and all these frailties of your life and you just wash them in that moment in the blood of the Lamb and that robe comes up radiant white just like the robe of Christ. And I think maybe that's why Revelation 7 ends with he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Why else would there be tears in heaven? Unless maybe when we realize who he is and that we didn't serve him like we should and we say, I, I should have given you so much more. And he goes, I know, I hear you, I forgive you, and it's done forever. And your robe is washed in the blood of the Lamb. The guarantee of the seal of the Holy Spirit tells us that every person that we, Jesus told about in John 6, every person the Father chooses, will, none will be lost. God will get us all home. That's why Revelation 7 is so important. You're sealed at the beginning of all the calamities that come on earth and because you're sealed, God will get us home. Along the way, there will be hurricanes and tornadoes, cancer and car accidents, war and famine, governments that hate Christ and culture that hates the church. Many opportunities to suffer along the way, but God will get us home. That's Revelation 7. God will get us home. And, what, and when you arrive, what's the reward of that blood-bought, spirit-sealed reward there? There you are. Those who go, those who are sealed, will be before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. Before the throne of God, front row seat. Lisa and I were talking with our neighbor last night. We were talking about summer plans, and I said, what are you doing this summer? They said, well, we're going to the James Taylor concert in Columbia, June 21st. We've been three times before, but not like this. I said, what makes this difference? Said, we bought front row seats. Front row seats, see, James Taylor's not that bad. I told her, I said, for some reason, if you pass away before then, would you leave a note in your kitchen? You give your tickets to Richard and Lisa. Front row seat to God. Look what else. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. Every one of these phrases points to the same thing, wouldn't it? The absence of pain, the removal of pain. You were hungry, then you'll not be hungry. On earth, you did experience the scorching sun, you'll not experience the scorching sun. You were thirsty, you will not thirst. As a matter of fact, 
The writer John, almost verbatim, quotes this very same verse again in chapter 21, except he explicitly says, and there will be no more pain. But you know what's better than no pain in heaven? Is the reason why there's no pain is because of the presence of perfect love, perfect beauty, the most perfect and loving person in the world who knows you better than anyone else, who loves you more than anyone else. This is why heaven is heaven. He will shelter you with his presence. Verse 15. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd and he will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. I love this phrase, lead them to springs of living water. Do you remember that I told you about that little feast of tabernacles celebration that took place in the Old Testament? At the last day of, the, of that seven-day feast, the priests used to go down to the stream, to the river, and they would take their cisterns and fill them up with water, and they would bring them back and hold them up before the people and say, God has supplied all of our needs. And on the last day of one of those feasts, Jesus Christ stood in front of all of those priests and made this promise in John 7. Let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water flow from within in them and that is fulfilled right there in Revelation 7 when Jesus Christ comes to you and he personally hands you living water can you imagine Jesus you take a cup of exhilarating eternity infinitely joy giving water from his hand and can you imagine when his hand touches your hand and you drink that He said, I'll give you living water and wipe away every tear from their eyes. This very scene happened this week. A week ago today in this church, um, um, Dan Vognes, uh, who used to work with our student, um, our high school, middle middle school and high school students. Now he works with our discipleship and community ministry. But he called me at one o'clock last Sunday afternoon and said, I just want to let you know my dad, uh, Mark, uh, has died. Mark Vognes had been suffering um, from Alzheimer's for about three years. But prior to that, he was suffering from something else, a broken heart. Mark's son, Jeremy, who would be Dan's brother, was a great runner in high school. I think he ran at Broome. Then in, in, in college, he was an All-American runner. But in 2009, while serving as a short-term missionary in Montana, he was injured in a car accident. Jeremy was, Mark's son, Dan's brother. Left him with a severe brain injury, a paralyzed body, and the only ability to communicate was moving his right leg. And though all the family helped with Jeremy's care, it was Mark, his father, as, as a father would, threw all of his life into caring for his son. So last Saturday afternoon, as the family saw that Mark's Alzheimer's and his condition was rapidly declining, they thought it would be a good idea to get Mark and Jeremy together one more time. So they wheeled Mark in his hospital bed next to Jeremy's hospital bed 
where Mark had stood by Jeremy's bed for ever since 2009, as long as he could. Mark and Jeremy used to always joke, I wonder which one of us will make it to heaven first. And how interesting it is that Mark, the father, outran the runner and made it first. Well, I left their family that Sunday afternoon around 5 p.m. They still didn't know how they were going to tell Jeremy, who had just seen his dad living the, year, the, day, uh, the day before, how were they going to tell him that dad had died? So they went over there around 7 that night, and they said that when they told Jeremy that Mark had died, for a moment there was just a, a pause on his face, and then a smile broke out, and he started tapping his foot, which meant get my electronic device so I can write. And he simply wrote, Dad is in a great place. Let's pray. Father, we don't have words big enough to call heaven what it is, so we call it things like great, better, thrilling, Father, we thank you that whatever word we use, we could multiply it by a hundred million. And that would still not measure the joy that Mark is experiencing now. He ran his race well. As a husband, as a worker, as a father. At the end of his life as a nurse for his son. Thank you that he's in a great place. Thank you that he's in a perfect place. He's in a thrilling place. He's in a joyful place. All because of Jesus. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.